Before we read God's Word, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use me as an instrument for your purposes. Increase our love for you. Increase our trust in you. Father, we thank you for the precious promises and for the precious commands that you've given us. We thank you even more for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the grace and the goodness and the life that is ours through him. And we recognize there's nothing that we can do in our own strength that pleases you. And yet we desire, Father, to love you and to honor you and please you. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would equip us, would work in us, and change us. Change me. Make me the man you want me to be. Father, we sang to you, and I repeat, speak, O Lord, as we come to you, to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ may be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. And we would give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would be so kind to stand with your copy of the Scriptures and listen as I read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, and qualifier here because we haven't read the whole psalm, this is the righteous man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, and that's the Torah, of the Lord, Jehovah, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked shall perish. You may be seated. Several weeks ago, a co-worker came up to me at Target, very excited. Now, I, I've learned a little bit about this young man. Actually, it's safe to say I could call all of my co-workers young men or young women. All right. I just celebrated my 62nd birthday yesterday, and, uh, and, and Target has a nice practice. They actually let the team know at 8 a.m. who has a birthday, and so throughout the course of my day yesterday, people were coming up to me and wishing me a happy birthday, which was delightful. But the thing that, that impresses me about this young man, his, his name is J.D. Um, J stands for Jonathan D for David. His, his parents know the Lord and love the Lord. 
And, and he serves the Lord even at Target. And as we've talked, I shared some things with him about the, the work of the ministry here. And, uh, and, and I told him about some of the passages of Scripture that I've memorized. And he came back one day so excited because he said, Wayne, I've, I've memorized Psalm 1. And I said, J.D., tell me, what does Psalm 1 say? And so he quoted it to me. And, and that pleases the Lord. The Lord delights in those who just not memorize God's Word, but meditate on it and rejoice in it, find it valuable for their lives. So that was an encouragement to me. And, and although at the time I didn't know what the, the schedule for preaching was, it occurred to me someday, hopefully I can preach on this psalm. And then looking at the schedule with Pastor Nick, sure enough, there was an opportunity to share what God has placed on my heart related to Psalm 1. Mirrors help us a great deal. When I got up this morning and I looked in the mirror for the very first time, that was a rather frightening experience. Um, I don't know if, if bald, you know, if you've never been bald, you can't quite relate to this. If you've got a full head of hair, it's nowhere near as frightening as being bald or partially bald. Because my hair does weird things. And, and so when I wake up, my, some of my hair is this way and some of it's this way. And it covers kind of weirdly my bald spot. And so I look at that and I think, that, that's not acceptable. I can't, you know, I don't even want Cindy to see me in this current state. So I've been trying to make sure that it's at least tamed down. And then as I got ready to come tonight, or today, I thought about the things that I was going to put on. I didn't put on my Target red shirt with my name tag. And I didn't put on the clothes that I would use for gardening, although I could, but it wouldn't be appropriate for the work that I've been called to do. And so I was very careful. I looked in the mirror, and hopefully, you know, I didn't leave anything terribly out of kilter in preparation. Looking in a mirror is very, very important. And God's Word is also like a mirror for me. God gave me His Word so that I could see His goodness and His glory and His perfection. And, and so that I could see me as I truly am. Both pre-Christ, before He cleaned me up and cleansed me from my sin, and now how I stand in Him complete. That mirror allows me to see myself appropriately when I look in God's Word. James says that some look in the mirror and then they go away and they forget what they saw. And we need to incorporate God's Word so well into our lives that we see ourselves and we see God appropriately and we don't walk away and forget it for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. It needs to be real and vibrant in our lives every step of the way. Which means that as I'm working at Target, it matters what God's Word says. When I'm playing with the grandkids, it matters what God's Word says. When I'm in the store, in the line at a store, it matters what God's Word says. When I'm driving down the freeway and someone does stupid things and I'm inclined to think the wrong things about them, it matters what God's Word says. And it matters so much to God that He wants to transform me 
to look like somebody else. He wants me to look like Christ. He wants me to be transformed by the renewing of the Holy Spirit so that I can perform as part of His body what He wants accomplished at Memorial Baptist Church, at Target, in my neighborhood, in my family. So 2 Timothy 3, 14-17 says to Timothy, but to all of us, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which is the Old Testament, by the way. He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and the letters to the Romans, First and Second Corinthians, you know the song. From the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here's what God would like His Word to do. All right, I've summarized it on the next slide. He would like for us to see Christ. If we don't see Christ, then we've missed the reason for the Scriptures. He wants us to know His Son. And Jesus said, don't ask, show us the Father. You've seen Me. I and the Father are one. So we want to know God and we want to see Christ. We do that through the Scriptures. We should be able to see that in Psalm 1. It will make you wise unto salvation. So as we look at Psalm 1, will it make us wise to salvation? Or is it just a nice song that the worship guys thought would be good to include in the Hebrew hymnal as hymn number 1? It should make us wise unto salvation. It should teach us doctrine. It should tell us what is true, what is worth knowing, what's important. God's Word is not just idle chatter. It's not His blog where He had these momentary thoughts that He thought, this would be good, let me get this message out. This is well thought out. This is the essence of God. God's Word reveals God to us, brings glory to God. It should reprove us. Does Psalm 1 reprove us? Where am I wrong in my thinking, my words, my actions, my attitudes? We should ask ourselves that question as we, ask, as we read God's Word. Correction. How can I be made right? Okay, so God's Word reveals who Wayne is in his natural state. What can be done to correct that? How can I become more like Christ? Is there recovery? Is there hope? Is there forgiveness? Is there mercy? In God's Word, we find out. For training in righteousness, what is Christ's plan for my life? I read in the recent Shepherds, or not Shepherds, uh, Rawhide Boys Ranch, a quote from one of the young men who grew up and had a, a tough childhood or young adulthood, and then he went to Rawhide and he had house parents who trained him and showed him what a real mom and dad and a real family are like. And one thing stuck with him besides the fact that he came to 
trust in Christ and understood God's word. Something that his house father said probably many times, like you do to your kids. You know, you've got some repeat things, dads, that you say, and mom that you say to your kids time after time, hoping some of it's going to stick. Experience is expensive. Buy it once. Well, here's something even better. Training in righteousness is available from God's Word and it's a precious mine of gold and silver available to you. Learn from there rather than from your own trial and error. Get training in righteousness from God's Word. And finally, there's an end in mind with all of this. God has a goal, and the goal is to prepare us and equip us for good work. God says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, He wants you to be ready. He wants you to be prepared. He wants you to be able to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. So God's Word is all of those things, or should be. So let's take a look at Psalm 1, and let's see if that's true. How do we see the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, if you took Psalm 1 all on its own, you would see that it talks about the Lord, that is, Yahweh. And if you ventured a little bit further into the Psalms, Psalm 2, you would see that that same Lord says something. Psalm 2, verse 1 says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, Yahweh, and against His anointed one, that's Messiah. Okay, it's, in, it's translated anointed one here, but it's the same word used for Messiah. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord, Yahweh, scoffs at them. Then He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed My King on Zion, My holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. Here's what Yahweh says. Here's what God says. He said to Me, You are My Son. Today I have become Your Father. And Jesus said, that's speaking of me. And if that's speaking of him, then Psalm 1 is speaking of him because it's the same Lord. There's no difference in the Lord of Psalm 1 and the Lord of Psalm 2. Jesus declared himself to be Lord in Psalm or in John 13:14. After he washed the disciples' feet, it's interesting what he said. He said, "Now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Jesus claimed to be Lord. He is the one Moses wrote about in the law, that is, the Torah, the books of Moses. And here's what he said to the people of his day. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And this psalm talks about the Torah. So this psalm is saying, take a look at the Torah and see Christ. Understand Christ and His righteousness. 
For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In other words, Jesus said, if you can't believe Psalm 1, then you can't believe what I say. If you can't believe Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then you can't believe what I say, because it's the same Lord. It's the same communicator of truth. The law is Scripture. Jesus said, you search the Scripture in John 5.39 because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Jesus says you want life? You want abundant life? Come to me. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus also said that he gave living water. In Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul reminds the church in Colossae, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know this tree that's by the river that's growing and flourishing and producing fruit? That's a tree that's productive because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be productive in your life. You can bear fruit, both the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of good works, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ in you. He can transform you. And He is that living water that gives you sustenance to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in and through your lives. It's encouraging that when we get to Revelation, Revelation 7.17, it says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away the tears from their eyes. We have a former member that's rejoicing in that today. All the ills of this life are now past, and she can experience the closeness with the Savior in the streams of living water. Jesus said, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And Jesus knows everyone's heart. When he was first in his early days of ministry in John chapter 2, after the miracle with the changing the water into wine, it says in John 2, 24-25, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. And so, when... When the Lord is speaking in Psalm 1 and He says, Blessed or how very happy and joyful is the man who walks in the counsel of the... who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Understand, God knows those men. Those women. Those children. Understand that that's not hidden from Him. And understand that He understands who the wicked are. There's no confusion in God's mind about who the righteous and who the wicked are. Those who are wicked are those without Christ Jesus. Those who have not responded to the Gospel. When I was eight or nine years old, I was good. I I put good in quotation marks. My mom says I was good. okay, But she always thought probably a little more highly of me than she ought to have thought. And I've tried to gently tell her that I wasn't really always... I might might have been good on the outside. Okay? Compliant you know, trying to go with the rules of the house. But on the inside, Wayne was just as stubborn and proud and rebellious as the next kid. Until 
I heard the blessed gospel. And Keith Martin in the Sunday school class, and teachers be encouraged by this, Keith Martin, an old, well, he probably was in his late 40s, you know. So he was, but in my mind, you know, he was an old guy, single guy, who handed me a Bible, and we actually opened it and read it. In the Sunday school I had attended before that, we never opened the Bible. Oh, I was handed a Bible. It was inscribed to me, but we never opened it. Thank God for a church where we open God's Word. You you just need to appreciate that. And then I came to understand that I wasn't good. I was lost. I was wicked. I was rebellious. And I needed a Savior. And the good news was that Jesus was the Savior. And I accepted God's wonderful gift. And He made me a new person. And He's still working on me. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So why does this matter? What difference does this make? Well, you need to be able to share the gospel with others. Are you? Are you equipped to share the truth of God's word with someone else? If you have the Son, then you have eternal, well-watered, and abundant life that bears fruit. Jesus says he wants you to bear fruit. He's the vine, you're the branches. The branch that abides in him bears much fruit. And in this psalm, you can be like a tree planted by the streams of water. It's not from within yourself. It's the streams of water that give you nourishment from Christ, the living water, that you might have life, abundant life, and fruitful life. Jesus said He is the source of life and resurrection, and God's Word provides the foundational answers that we need to live a life of faith in Christ. So, we do see the Lord Jesus Christ in Psalm 1. Does Psalm 1 make you wise unto salvation? 2 Timothy 3.15 says that the sacred writings are able to make you wise through salvation in Christ Jesus. So do we see that here? Well, it doesn't specifically spell out the Gospel in Psalm 1. But delighting in God's law means that we understand the promises because in the law, in Genesis 22, God came to Abraham and said, Through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And so, this is a reference to saying, go back and look at the law and consider the other Scriptures that talk about me. Jesus said, I am in the law. And as He's walked along the road with the two disciples after the resurrection on the way to Emmaus, He opened the Scriptures to them and revealed Himself from Torah. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They had Jesus in the flesh, but they didn't have the written record yet. Genesis 22.18 Galatians 3.14 says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Most of you are Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. Be thankful that God did not come just to seek and save the chosen people. 
All of you who have put your faith in Christ are children of Abraham through Jesus Christ. One family, part of God's family, because He came to redeem us so that Abraham's blessing would be effective. Because God keeps His promises. Even promises to dear old Abraham who was full of unbelief and his wife Sarah who was full of unbelief take encouragement that even when the struggle is tough and you just don't, can't muster up enough belief that God is capable of doing what God needs to do. Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. It is Christ where we can be wise to salvation. And so you can understand and appreciate, if you go back to the Torah, the significance of Passover. And you can understand the importance and significance of the rescue from Egypt. And you can understand in looking at Psalm 1, the depths of the sin and the depravity and the destruction that awaits those who are without Christ. So is salvation portrayed in Psalm 1? Yes, it is. It can make you wise to salvation. This matters every day. This matters every day. My hope is not built on Wayne's righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Wayne Grudem says something interesting. He says, in a day when it is common for people to tell us how hard it is to interpret Scripture rightly, we would do well to remember that not once in the Gospels do we ever hear Jesus saying anything like this, well, I see how your problem arose. The Scriptures aren't very clear on this subject. Instead, whether he is speaking to scholars or untrained, common people, his response always assumes that the blame for misunderstanding any teaching of Scripture is not to be placed on the Scriptures, but on those who misunderstand or who fail to accept what is written. Again and again, he answers questions with statements like, have you not read? You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And we need to know the Scriptures and we need to understand the power of God who is able then to use His Word through the Spirit who indwells us to cause us to be prepared and complete for every good work. It's interesting, Jesus' position on the Scripture. He said, look at them and you'll see Me. Look at them and you can know life. Look at them and you can understand God. He considered Scripture not just addressed for those old folks back in the Old Testament, but for the here and now folks who heard him speak. He said, look at the Torah, you will see me. The next item is doctrine. Is there any doctrine in Psalm 1? Oh, and, and by the way, in case you're, you're, you're a clock watcher, um, you might think, well, he's not even really halfway through, and we're getting kind of, you know, the time is getting away from us here. Um, for those of you that have that concern, not all of you, don't worry. We will be done on time. 
Some of you will be pleased with that. Some of you don't even know why I'm saying that. I can appreciate that. Doctrine. So is there any doctrine in Psalm 1? Well, there certainly is. God is revealed in Psalm 1. God is proclaimed as someone who is omniscient, who knows your way. He knows the way of the righteous man and woman, and He knows the way of the wicked. There are no surprises when it comes to us in God's eyes. He is omniscient. He can see the intimate details. He knows who has no regard for Him, who cares little about Him. And it also is clear, if you want to understand God, that God opposes the wicked. Make, make no doubt about this. If you look at the end of Psalm 1, verse 6, it says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Do you take some encouragement from that? If you are His, He's watching over your way. But notice also it says, but the way of the wicked will perish. Understand, God is a God who judges sin. Who cannot have sin enter into His kingdom. So it tells us about God. It also talks about the Scriptures. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. Scriptures are of preeminent importance. Why? Because they're from God. It's His Word to us. It's His truth to us. It's His way of describing Himself to us so that we could know Him. There is no portion of the day or night where the Scriptures are without purpose or value. Let me repeat that. There is no part of my life where Scripture isn't valuable. When I'm at Target and I'm you know, moving product from shelves to carts that then gets moved by somebody else from those carts to shelves, and then some of it comes back because there wasn't enough room on the shelf, and I'd like to talk to the guy that wrote the programs for that and clarify how silly it is for me to pull 40, 20, you know, how, how much does a bag of that water softener salt weigh? 40 pounds? Sometimes the computer says, pull 40 of those. So I, I'm a very compliant employee. I pull 40 of them, put them on a flatback bed truck, and, and it goes out into the store. And the store guys are looking at this thinking, the guys that have to put it on the shelf are looking at this saying, where does this go? So they get out there and they find there's room for six bags. Okay? So does, does Scripture have value for that? It does. It does. I, I don't fret about whether or not those bags come back or not. Okay? I've been given a job to do, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not working for Target. I'm not working for man. I'm working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if, if the instructions are pull 40 bags, I pull 40 bags. And if 32 bags come back, I rejoice in knowing that I'll have something to do shortly to remove, to put them back on the shelf. And I get some exercise. Look at me. I mean, I'm not the Wayne I was 12 months ago. There's less of me. I love it. So there's value in the Scriptures. You can also learn from Psalm number 1 about sowing and reaping. Because the righteous man is sowing certain things and there's going to be a harvest of his fruit. And the wicked man is sowing something and there's going to be a harvest from his fruit. And we can also learn some things about man, the doctrine of man from this. That there are men who are wicked and their, their destination is destruction, otherwise known as hell. Eternal damnation, eternal fire, separation from God forever and ever, which is not good. But there are also the righteous, those that Christ has redeemed. And so we can learn about the man that has been redeemed. 
We can learn about the wide path and the narrow path that Jesus talks about. So why does this matter? Well, this matters because if I think about what's true, then it changes the way that I speak. And if I think about what is true, then my attitudes about the water softener salt that comes back is totally different. In fact, somebody was complaining about one of my coworkers recently. He's a slacker. He, didn't, he, he called in sick, but he's probably not really sick. And I said, well, his back was bothering him the other day. And I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, okay, I guess I could do that too. You see, God's Word is applicable in every conversation. Show grace. Show forgiveness. Show mercy. Show an understanding that maybe I don't know everything and ought to be gracious and kind and loving to others. This matters because as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Jesus said the good man brings good things out of the the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart the mouth speaks. Jesus often asked men, what do you think? Now, sometimes as parents we say, what were you thinking? Okay, your kid does something that's just like, what were you thinking? The bottom line is, Jesus wants to know that we're thinking and that we should be thinking about truth. Think about these things. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is good report. Whatever is admirable. Whatever is praiseworthy. Dwell on these things. And so, at Target, I should be dwelling on those things. They should be preeminent in my thinking. So God's Word is profitable. And it, and it shows us doctrine. Because I need truth for my thinking, for my attitudes, for my actions. And then God's Word is profitable for reproof. Where am I wrong? The psalm says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So, a reproof here could be, Wayne, are you choosing the right companions? Are you choosing the right people to listen to? Are you walking along life's road with godly people? Thankfully, I have a godly wife. I have godly children and son-in-law and daughter-in-law. And, and, and I have this body here. And we are to gather together to encourage one another to good works, to serve God together. And so, yes, sometimes I need reproof. And I'm okay with somebody coming up to me. You know, some of you have come up to me on occasion and said, Wayne, uh, this disappointed me. Would you consider doing this instead? And I appreciate that. I appreciate the reproof, the instruction that comes my way. Hebrews 12, 3-17 says, The Lord's rebuke and discipline is for your good because He loves you. And so, when you read this psalm, you should be thinking, Lord, is there any way that I'm getting too close to evil in my thinking, in my companionship, in my choices, in my entertainment, and in any of those ways? What part does God's Word have in your life? I would encourage you to memorize God's Word. I had a pastor once say, there's really not much value in memorizing God's Word. I couldn't believe he said that. Now, I think he meant well. I think he, he, he meant there's really no point in just memorizing it and that's it. 
You've got to meditate on it. You've got to think about it. You've got to consider it. You've got to let the Holy Spirit use it in your life. You've got to be open to what the Spirit says. So this matters. We need to know what the influences are in our lives. And we need to measure them against God's Word. And we could, we could actually spend more time on that portion, but we're going to move to the next one. Correction. How does Psalm 1 correct my path? It says, but his delight is in the law, the Torah of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If you are on the wide path that includes the crowd and doing what everyone else is doing, then you need correction. You need a change. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need him to show you truth. In Matthew, Jesus said this, Matthew 7, 12 to 14. This is the, uh, the golden rule, okay? And, and most people just say the golden rule and then they're done. I think we need to read a little bit more. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the, is the law and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? But that doesn't end there. It says there's an entry point. It says enter by the narrow gate, For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And lest there be any doubt in your mind, Jesus said, I am the gate of the sheepfold. You want to enter in? You come via me. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There should be no doubt that He is the gate. And it's a narrow gate. There aren't many gates to access the Father. There aren't many gates or entryways into righteousness. It is only by the blood of Christ. And this matters because I have co-workers who need the Lord. They need to understand God's truth. And we need to correct one another. We've talked about church discipline. It's more than just a formal thing that is done on occasion when somebody strays far. It's something that we all need. And the Proverbs says that a wise man accepts a rebuke. And so I would ask you this. When someone rebukes you, how do you respond? Finally, training in righteousness. Is there something I can learn about training in righteousness from this psalm? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, it doesn't say he just meditates during Sunday service or during precepts class or during awana. He says day, sometimes I work the day shift, and night, sometimes I work the night shift. So I can't say, well, after five, okay, the law, God's word, his truth, that, that's no longer important. Or I can't say there are certain aspects of my life where it's no longer in bounds. It's always in bounds. Jesus said this. You, you get a sense from this righteous man in Psalm 1 that his delight, his eagerness for God's word is there. And here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be satisfied. Experience is expensive. Don't buy it twice. I would submit to you, don't buy it at all. Go to God's Word. Accept the truth of God's Word. It's free. It's abundant. And it leads you and reveals to you the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, this does equip you. It matters if you're a parent or an employee or an employer or a church member or not. If you have the, the Word of God in you richly, you will be able to stand firm. Ephesians 6, 13-17 says this. It describes the way I should get dressed. So, my spiritual morning should be a look at God's Word in the mirror of God's Word. And after I'm dressed, here's what I should see. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Withstanding and standing. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Not my righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Wherever I'm walking, I should be ready. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Faith in whom? Faith in Wayne? Oh, there's misplaced faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in in God, whose very word is amen. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There is nothing that Satan can throw at you that you can't take God's word and say, wait a second, here's what God says. You're wrong. Because he's a liar, and he's a master of it. And take the helmet of salvation, protect the brain, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, including Psalm 1. Teach your children. Apply it to your lives. Live it. Be reassured. So here's my final comments. You need to see Jesus. You need to see Jesus in Psalm 1 and 2 and 3 and Exodus and in Isaiah. Look, he's there. You need to be wise to understand the salvation that is offered and the solid hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. If you do not know him, if you have never heard this before, Pastor Nick or I or anyone who was up here leading worship, come see us. We can open the scriptures to you and answer any questions that you might have. You need doctrine, you need truth, you need reproof, you need correction, you need instruction in righteousness. And you need those so that you can serve God. The God who loves you, and He wants you to demonstrate His love to others, and He wants you to demonstrate your love for Him. I like what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. The mirror, sometimes I go to the mirror and I forget what I looked like. But there's a day coming that Wayne is going to look less like Wayne and more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we, who with veiled, unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory that comes from the Lord who is Spirit. God is transforming 
Wayne. Is he transforming you? Let's pray and then the worship team, please come up.